Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Living a Dream. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, January 22nd, 2017. This past January 6th, the church began the brief season of Epiphany, just eight Sundays after Advent and before Lent. With historical precedents that date to the 4th century, the word comes from a transliteration of the Greek word epiphania, meaning manifestation, unveiling, or disclosure. The historical fact of Jesus' birth is one thing, but what are its ramifications? What did it signal or mean? What did his birth reveal? disclose, manifest, or unveil about God in the world. In short, the birth of Jesus discloses a dream. He unveils and reveals the heart of God for all the world, and indeed for the entire cosmos. Paul calls it a mystery that's been made known. We pray this dream every week in church when we ask God that his will be done in us on earth as it is in heaven. Dreams and visions loom large throughout the Bible. In Genesis, for example, there are the dreams of Pharaoh, Joseph, and Jacob. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, John dreams the craziest of apocalyptic dreams. The stories of Esther and Ruth revolve around dreams. In the lectionary from Isaiah 9 for this week, he dreams about people who flounder in the darkness, living in the light. In Matthew's Gospel, the birth of Jesus revolves around five dreams, which culminate when Jesus speaks for the first time about God's dream for us all. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe, and live this dream now. What does this dream look like when we awake from our slumber and darkness and live in the light of God? There's a little phrase that I've always loved in a work called The Letter to Diognetus from about the year 130 that captures what living God's dream looks like. He calls it, quote, the wonderful and confessedly striking method of life of those earliest believers. They were known for their social generosity, care for the weak instead of privileges for the powerful, dignity instead of vulgarity, love instead of hate, peace instead of violence, inclusion rather than exclusion, generosity rather than greed. Just about the same time as Diognetus, Justin Martyr summarized the appeal of the Christian dream. He writes, those who once delighted in fornication now embrace chastity alone. We who once took the most pleasure in accumulating wealth and property now share with everyone in need. We who hated and killed one another and would not associate with people of different tribes because of their different customs now, since the coming of Christ, 
We live familiarly with them and pray for our enemies. This weekend, my wife and daughter will join about 30 women from our small church to participate in the Women's March on Washington on January 21st, the day after the presidential inauguration. It's an expensive trip for our family budget, disruptive for my wife's work, with two days of flying coast-to-coast coast from California to D.C., and just one day in between for events. Nonetheless, the trip feels very much worth the effort. And whereas it's easy to imagine that different people have different and worthy motivations for participating, I think the common denominator that ties them all together is reminding our nation of the dream of a better way for our country to live together, in contrast to the bitter election that divided us. I'm also grateful for the coincidence of the calendar this weekend to remember the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. His 1963 dream speech remains one of the most important speeches in American history and calls us all to a better way of civic life. And then, come February, we have the opportunity to live the dream by celebrating Black History Month. For the Apostle Paul, he told the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, our common humanity in the image of God transcends our many and important differences. If you're looking for resources to help live this dream of God for all the world, I have a few suggestions. There's the inspiring work of the attorney Brian Stevenson, his book Just Mercy, his organization The Equal Justice Initiative, and his forthcoming Memorial to Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama that will honor the memory of the nearly 4,000 lynchings of black people that took place in the 12 states of the South from 1877 to 1950. There's the Smithsonian's newly opened National Museum of, Afri of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Here at Journey with Jesus, we've recently reviewed, or will do so shortly, five different books that speak to the dream of overcoming racism. There's Negro Land by Margot Jefferson, the Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, Paul, Paul Beatty's biting satire called The Sellout, Drew G.I. Hart's book Trouble I've Seen, and then the award-winning book Between the World and Me by Ta Nehisi Coates. In addition, we're reviewing the movies 13th and Moonlight. And we've posted a substantial conversation interview with law professor Marjolyn Armstrong on race and racism. Where there is no vision, no dreams, says Proverbs 29.18, the people perish. In his famous poem, Dreams, Langston Hughes, the African-American poet, novelist, playwright, and newspaper columnist, 
urged us not to forfeit our dreams. Listen to his poem. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. So live the dream of God. Unveil the meaning of Jesus. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Disclose that wonderful and confessedly striking method of life that Jesus called us to when he said that the reign and rule of God has begun. May it be so on earth, right here and right now, as it is in heaven. For books this week, I review a title by Richard Holloway. The title of the book is A Little History of Religion. New Haven, Yale University Press, 2016, 244 pages. There has never been a time or place when humanity has not been religious. Atheism, observed the Harvard scholar of comparative religions, Wilfred Cantwell Smith of Harvard, has always been what he called oddly parochial in space and time. In his book, World Christian Encyclopedia, David Barrett identified 10,000 distinct religions 150 of which have a million or more followers. And, although it's not fashionable to say so, to argue that all religions teach the same thing is both false and patronizing. As this book shows, that's precisely what they don't do. The first undisputed evidence for our religiosity comes 130,000 years ago in the funeral rites and burial customs in which people painted the bodies of the dead with red okra paint and laid them to rest in special places with special objects and in special ways. Death, these rites seem to say, was a door to another place rather than to nothingness. In another recurring quest, humans have always wondered why we are here, why there is something rather than nothing, and who made it all. In this brief handbook of the history of religions, Richard Holloway zigs back and forth in time and place to tell the stories of our religiosity. There are 40 chapters in 200 pages, so the pace is brisk, to say the least. That means that each religion gets about five pages, beginning with the oldest of them all, Hinduism, and ending with our newest religion, secular humanism. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam get slightly fuller treatments. A recurring theme for Holloway is what he calls the most important insight into God ever discovered by humans the Second Commandment prohibition against idolatry. And note, its real target was religion itself, 
and not just the kind that got people dancing around a golden calf. It was warning us that no religious system could capture or contain the mystery of God. Yet in history, as this book shows, that's exactly what many of them would go on to claim. The second commandment was an early warning that the organizations that claimed to speak for God would become God's greatest rivals, the most dangerous idol of them all. Holloway writes in a deliberately simple style. There are no footnotes or any bibliography for further reading. He has an irritating habit of using exclamation points that makes him sound dismissive. And simple can sometimes be simplistic, like when he says that, quote, sensible people, quote unquote, during the Roman period didn't take their gods too seriously, or that the mindset of the East is patient while the mindset of the Western people is hasty. There's nothing in the book about African tribal religions, and some of his editorial decisions are baffling, like his treatment of religion in America, which covers Native Americans, African Americans, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, Scientology, and the Moonies. But no John Wesley for Jonathan Edwards. Holloway is the former Bishop of Edinburgh in Primus of the Scottish Episcopal Church. He's written about 30 books in the last 40 years, most notably a memoir called Leaving Alexandria, 2012, in which he discusses his loss of faith. In an interview, he described himself in his agnostic after-religionist, all of which is to say that Holloway has some skin in this game and that it's hard to separate any history of religion from important questions about the nature and philosophy of religion. An interesting little book, Yale University Press, A Little History of Religion by Richard Holloway. And befitting my essay this week, we review a movie called Thirteenth the year 2016. This infuriating documentary by Ava DuVernay, who made the film Selma, takes its title from the 13th Amendment of the Constitution that formally abolished slavery on December 6, 1865. It reads, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. But the reality of the last 150 years tells a different story. America has the highest incarceration rate of any country in the world. We have about 5% of the world's population but about 25% of the world's prisoners. This film examines the mythology of black criminality, lynchings, segregation, and in particular, the dramatic rise of the mass incarceration of blacks since the 1970s, the so-called war on drugs, and mandatory minimum sentencing. 
In the late 1970s, there were about 350,000 Americans in prison. In 2014, that figure was 2.3 million. Black men face a one in three chance of spending some time in prisons. And so prisons have become our new plantation. The film is somewhat formulaic. It combines archival footage and photographs, a blizzard of statistics, and commentators like Angela Davis, Henry Louis Gates, Jelani Cobb, Charles Rangel, Brian Stevenson, Van Jones, and Michelle Alexander. But that hardly detracts from its power. The movie 13th opened the New York Film Festival in 2016, then was release, released on Netflix a few months later. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a remarkable rating of 98%. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. And for poetry, for the season of Epiphany, we've posted a poem by Reginald Heber, 1783 to 1826, that is called simply Epiphany. Brightest and best of the sons of the morning, dawn on our darkness and lend us thine aid. Star of the east, the horizon adorning, Guide where our infant Redeemer is laid. Cold on his cradle the dewdrops are shining. Low lies his head with the beasts of the stall. Angels adore him in slumber reclining, maker and monarch and savior of all. Say, shall we yield him in costly devotion, odors of Edom and offerings divine? Gems of the mountain and pearls of the ocean, myrrh from the forest or gold from the mine? Vainly we offer each ample oblation, vainly with gifts would his favor secure. Richer by far is the heart's adoration, dearer to God are the prayers of the poor. Epiphany by Reginald Heber and thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. For Sunday, January 22, 2017, I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.